Welcome to the Create What You Speak podcast. Join me as we have a real life discussion on how to change your life by changing your thoughts. Remember, question everything, trust yourself, and find your truth. Welcome to the Create What You Speak podcast. My name is Sloan Fremont, and I'm your host. This is the show where we talk about how to change our lives by changing our thoughts. And each week, I bring you new conversations with the intention to encourage you, to inspire you, and to hopefully change your perspective in a positive way to help you navigate your life in the direction that you really want it to go. And our topic today in my interview with our guest today really, I think, is going to inspire you to take a look at your life a little bit differently and hopefully encourage you to start moving in that direction that you really want to live your life. My guest today is Harold Harris Jr., and he's the author of From Basketball to Bow Ties, A Journey in Leadership, Self-Discovery, and Success Through Service. And in our interview today, Harold and I get into all kinds of topics. We talk about his book. We talk about the lessons that he learned growing up throughout his life. Um, Harold and I have a lot of similar personality traits, so it's really fun to explore that with him and and learn more about him and learn what he learned uh, from from his life lessons and his his experiences. And one of the big things that that was a theme that I found throughout Harold's book and something that he talks about today is living purposefully and not only living purposefully, but living with that service to others attitude. Harold is such a positive person. The way he tells his story, the advice that he offers, and even as he talks about what he learned, I think you're really going to find a lot in this today. And I think that you're going to come at the other side of this interview feeling really inspired to do great things in your life. Joining me today is Harold Harris Jr., author of the book, From Basketball to Bow Ties: A Journey in Leadership, Self-Discovery, and Success Through Service. This book is artfully composed of creative storytelling intertwined with lessons that are easily remembered and applied. Harold takes us through an inspirational journey of heart-wrenching life experiences that have developed him into an authentic, transformational leader, passionate about every aspect of life, and compassionate as demonstrated by his selfless gifts to others, from learning to tie a bow tie to giving the gift of life as a living kidney donor. So Harold, I want to welcome you to the show. I've been really excited to talk to you. Sloan, thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. And I appreciate you taking the time. I know you have lots of guests that you interact with. And so I I am very thankful for the opportunity to share the story. Yes, because your story is amazing. I read your book. And as I I mentioned briefly um, before we were getting started that I as I was reading your book, I laughed a lot because there were so many similar personality traits between the two of us that I I recognized. And I was like, I know what that's like. I, I, I've been through that. And some and you you have a background in I.T. that you describe as an unconventional way of coming into I.T. And I, I have the same very similar story in that way. Yeah. But before we start, let's tell the audience just a little bit about yourself and your book from basketball to bow ties. It's a journey that's a bit autobiographical. Mm -hmm. It has some leadership lessons and nuggets that I've learned because I've been blessed with tremendous leadership throughout my 33-year career. Mm -hmm. It is a story about tragedy. It is a story about inner turmoil. It's a story about a young kid who just never quit, regardless of what it looked like, regardless whether it was a basketball trial, whether it was something tragically that happened in his family, or whether it was something that happened in business. 
He just never quit. But at the same time, very few of us, if any of us, get through life by ourselves. So it's also about the service and assistance from others. And uh, it's just a journey that culminated in just an unbelievable circumstance. It really, it really was. Because as we get more and more, get more and more into this discussion, folks will find out. And as they go through the book, I didn't have my hand up to be an organ dog. That's not how right. it played out. So right. it's 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 all those things, and it's a roller coaster. And I'm glad. I know that the story is not going to be. Everybody may not like a particular book, and I get that. But I think what you said resonates because it does take you on a roller coaster. It's going to make you laugh. It's going to make you mad. It's going to make you cry. It's going to make you think. It's going to give you pause. And that was the purpose of the journey. I did. I just wanted to tell part of my story in a in an in an ability to inspire others because we all have a purpose and call to action. Yeah, and one of the things that I loved in your book too, you talk about how we we're all on our own journey, right? We all have our individual story. And there's that theme of that is um, becoming so apparent to me lately as just things that I'm going through in my own life of how um, each, everybody has a story. Everybody has a story to tell. And each of our journeys are so individualized that because we often try to fit in or we try to um, do things that maybe aren't for us, right? We don't even feel comfortable doing, but yeah. because it, we feel like it's what we should be doing, uh, we try to do these things instead of just embracing our own path, going down our own path and doing things our own way, which is how I, I felt um, you described yourself in your book. You forged your own path. You did things un- unconventionally, and it seemed like you did them all with a smile, right? You went forward with your bow tie and your smile. And uh, I, I loved that that reminder of that resilience and also of that just that never quitting, especially when you were in the first part of the book about basketball. Um, I mean, I'm not really, I mean, I played basketball when I was a kid. I, you know, I didn't really get too far along into it, but your description of what you went through and the determination you had to me was very inspiring. I appreciate that. And thank you. It, it, um, I, when I, as I was writing the book, some of the things developed organically. So I would start down one path, and it just would evolve into, I don't know, I need to go this way. And then all of a sudden it bring back this flood of memories about yeah. a particular time. And that became content, mm-hmm. but it did not, it didn't start out that particular way. So I like the organic journey and just one page at a time. Uh, and it just evolved into this story that I hope folks find enjoyable. But at the same time, I hope that they find actionable because yeah. as I said in the forward, the reason that I love the way the, the book evolved through some editing, uh, lots of editing and lots of direction from Brandy Lane Publishing, who I give all the credit in the world to, because they are the publishing company that that took a chance on me. Yeah. You know, you think about yeah. I did never stop to think about all of the steps that goes into publishing a book because that will paralyze. Anything. Right. Right. I just wrote, I just started writing. I yeah. didn't go, I'm going to make it this long. I'm going to tell this story. I'm just going to write and let it organically evolve. And I think Brandy Lane Publishing understood what I was attempting to do. Yeah. And that is to share an inspirational and moving story that can resonate with anyone, mm-hmm. regardless of their demographic. And that's yeah. what I also love because I've I've spoken to organizations. I've spoken to middle schools. I've spoken to high schools. I've spoken to... CEOs, CIOs, 
it doesn't matter the demographic. It doesn't matter if you're white, you're black, you're brown, you're, you're 10 years old, you're 15 years old, it, you're 35 years old, you're 55, you're 60, you have 50 years of experience leading organizations. It resonates across there because those lessons and those nuggets of leadership that I spawn in there are applicable to you and your experience and yes. uniquely yours. And that's okay. what I really enjoy about the book. Yeah. And the other part that I loved is even if someone isn't interested in necessarily being leading in a management type position, right. Or, or being something, you know, managing other people, I felt like your book also helps people manage themselves because we, we are our own leaders, right? We lead ourselves. And so being able to understand yourself, understand, um, you know, who you are, what you stand for, right. And what motivates you, what doesn't motivate you. Um, I, I also felt that as uh, throughout your book was that it's, it's a great call to personal leadership for within yourself as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I you're absolutely spot on Sloan. I think that being able to attach a particular lesson that I talk about in the story to someone's personal journey gives it that much more resiliency in being able to apply it. It makes yeah. it very easy to do. You can read other books, you can read a book and it just kind of goes right through you. You read it, you understand it, but does it resonate and does it stick to you? Yeah. Because, okay, that stuck to me. And the why is not important. It's the fact that you recognize that that stuck with you. There's a reason for that. Yeah. And then examining that and then moving forward. So, yeah, I think it does. And uh, we're really excited about that and very proud of how it turned out. Yeah. Well, and so your book goes through several leadership lessons. And what I thought we'd do today, I want to go through some of my favorites that I pulled out from the book. But before we get to that, I, there's, I want to mention one other, something that stuck with me throughout your book was yeah. where you talk about favor. And yeah. there was, and, and so I want to get you to explain what favor is to you, but sure. I also one of your, the favorite, one of my favorite quotes from your book. Um, and this is something I talk about all the time on the show here, because the show is okay. called create what you speak, right? We're talking right. about, we, we bring into existence what we say. So if we're saying negative things, we're going to see more of that uh, positive. We're going to see more of that yeah. in yeah. your book. You say, and you're talking about when you were going to play basketball in college and the odds yeah. were against you, right? This wasn't a conventional way to do this. And you yeah. said, I simply spoke it into the atmosphere that I was going to play there. And that was all Yeah. in your life. In, so I don't, I won't go into all the details of that, but so let's talk about favor, what that means to you and how that's shown up in your life. You know, being, uh, being Sloan, being an unapologetic Christian about the fact that we are here in service to others. And there is a reason for our existence that far exceeds what we think we should be doing. Mm -hmm. There is a higher power. So I'm unapologetic as a Christian favor to me is when something is bestowed upon you that is completely out of your realm of possibility to control, manipulate, and describe, it simply is God's way, in my opinion, in God's way of expressing that he is with you, that there is no obstacle, there is nothing that can happen to you, there's nothing someone can post about you, there's nothing that someone can do to you that can inhibit what he has ordained for Sloan Fremont. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If everybody in America and every news outlet said, this is the, 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 the most unbelievably bad show in the history of the universe, God has a way of navigating all of that 
to position Sloan Fremont to be the most successful when she's operating in his favor and doing the thing that she he has purposed you to do. And so favor for me is understanding not only who I am, mm-hmm. but understanding whose I am. And I'm not of this world where I have to follow what everybody else thinks I should be doing. Yeah. So that's where you get that favor and how it's just, wow, how did that happen to him? Yeah. How did he do that? Or how did she do that? How did she begin to host this nationally national show? How did that happen for her? Right. But they don't yeah. see everything that goes on. Right. They don't see that. So that's favor to me. Yeah. And <clears throat> what I also like about favor and even just using that word is the recognition of it when it happens in your life. Right. Because sometimes it's very easy to go through life and, oh, I'm just prone to bad luck or, oh, I'm prone to good luck. Right. Or, you know, but when, when you have that recognition of in, in, like in this quote, you, you spoke it out there and it, it, there's, there's, there's power in that. There's power in that personal power by, by, taking that there's power in the recognition of the favor i think and so when you mention that throughout your book that was one of my favorite parts of of when you would mention that how your recognition of that um because it's like once you see that then you can't unsee it yeah that's how it yeah. feels to me it's with it is yeah. absolutely with you there is just no way a young guy 23 years old that has never looked for a job and that just falls into his lap and to be able to have that situation fall in such a manner that created an opportunity where I spent the last 32 years. Right. I was a public administration and a political science major with a minor in economics, but I'm working in healthcare IT. Really go <laughs> figure that because right. the service and service to others. So it really is an intriguing story. And the other one that I really enjoyed was, you know, we talk about when I was on the 12 mile run and I really wanted to quit. Yeah. And yeah. uh, you just what came to me was uh, decide, do, rinse, repeat. Yeah. Don't even get caught up in everything else. Just decide. And that, you know, as a young person, I fell in love with the school. James Madison University is just a beautiful school. And it looks nothing like it looked when I went to school there 33 years ago. I mean, they have another campus on the other side of the road. It's just absolutely beautiful. It was beautiful back in 1989, you know, when I went. But it is just amazing what they have done. I just love the energy and I felt at home there. So mm-hmm. I just made a decision. Okay. I'm not looking at other schools. I'm going to play here. Uh, and I'm just not taking no for an answer. So, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, and your, so your, your, your direction, your entrance into it, as you said, you, you that's as you were mentioning just a second ago about your job and, and not having any experience. And uh, your book goes into the story behind that. And I thought it was very well written how you, the Marriott photo, how you, yeah. how they were standing in there. And, and so the listeners will have to read the book to get that part. Yeah. But um, yeah. I had a similar experience in that um, my background was actually my, one of my degrees was in agriculture. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I work, I've worked in it the last, I think I'm going on 12 years now. And for me, how that started was I was, it was actually learning about blogs and learning how to program because back then, I mean, this was in the early days, like when people used, um, uh, uh, Piper or word, I don't even remember what it was called. It was some yeah. the, like one of the original blogging platforms. Sure. And I, 
um, at that time I had actually gotten fired and laid off multiple times. And I know you have a similar story about being mm-hmm. fired. And yeah. honestly, I think everybody should be fired once in their life to be humbled by that because that yeah. honestly, for me, it was one of the best experiences that I went through, learned so much about myself. But so during that time, I had a lot of time on my hands. And so I was teaching myself, okay, if I do this, then, then that happens. If I do this, then that, and mm-hmm. From that, I understood, I started to understand more how, and I was read and I would be very, you know, interested in this. And I had a lot of time, right? Because I wasn't working and you can only apply for jobs so many hours a day. And I, um, so I, I was teaching myself this stuff and I was learning about projects and, and project management and I would talk to people. So, so what do you do? How does this work? And they would give me insight and I'd be like, okay, um, okay, that sounds really interesting. And so long story short, I got into consulting, um, kind of the same way you, I didn't, I didn't have any consulting experience, but I had the de- the interest, I had the determination and I had the willingness to learn. I was willing to be taught. And mm-hmm. so here I am, you know, 12 years later, still doing, working in the same industry. And, and I felt that in your story too. You had definitely had the drive by your experience through basketball and what that taught you and all your different coaches. You had mm-hmm. the determination because you were, you were in the midst of losing your other job. And so there was, right, there's, that's it. You've got to get, you know, there's no really, uh, you've got to get another job. And yeah, then also like that, that willingness to be taught. And throughout your book, you thank the people who've taught you. You talk to about the people and what you learned from them and what kind of people they were. And I think that really helps the reader to understand um, the different personalities that helped to shape you. Because as I was reading that, I was also thinking about people in my life, like people who mm-hmm. I've worked with, mentors I've had, and what qualities that I really admired by them and what I, what, and those, those defining moments like that with those people that helped propel me forward. I thought that was really interesting how you did that. Yeah. It, it, it's a tribute to them and the recognition that we are not alone and we don't get yeah. there. And if you think you pull yourself up, I, I use that in the book by your own bootstraps. Think again, because it's just not accurate and it's just not true. There yeah. are people that, that took a chance on me, some young guy that, didn't have a clue, didn't, you know, he's just trying to find his way. And I, that, that also makes me a very compassionate leader. Yeah. So as I, one of the greatest things you can have as a leader is for people that you help get started, come back to you years later. Yeah. That, that is a goosebump, seminal and very visceral moment for me. When sometimes folks call me up to hey, I'm working for, you know, the government and I'm doing X, Y, and Z. And, I really appreciate you helping me figure out what it is that got me out of bed in the morning because we're doing X. And, you know, it may be 10, 15, 20 years ago or someone helping, you know, call, you know, sending you a nice note or an email saying, hey, I'm in town. Just want to let you know I'm out of here. I've been in Texas for the last 20 years, but I just want to thank you for getting me on this path. That is as good as it gets as a leader. Yeah, it really is. It doesn't get any better because our primary responsibility as leaders and we all are leaders, regardless of your position or stature, we, you, you are a leader, is to be able to serve others in a capacity that far exceeds anything that you thought that uh, they're supposed to do. And when you help somebody operate and get into their lane, and, I, and this is the part of favor that we talked about, is being in your lane and knowing that, okay, I know why I'm here. Yeah, And most people, Sloan, don't know why they're here. Right. They think it's to work a job or to be an athlete or to be this or to be that. That is not why you're here. And if you don't know, I, I love the fact that this book can move you to help you realize what that is, because a lot of people simply go through life existing. Yeah. And, you know, I believe that he put me here 
to serve others and inspire others to find their true purpose in life. I truly believe that. And whether it's the spoken word, the written word, a presentation, a speech or demonstration, that's why I'm here. And I love that because when you know why you're here, there is, that makes you unshakable in so many aspects of your life. It does. And that, that just existing, I, I often refer to it on the show as living life on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Like you're living on the sidelines, watching everybody else. Cause I went through periods of my life like that. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was like, enough is enough, right? This isn't, this isn't living. This isn't for, this isn't the purpose of my life. And um, for me, that, that fired me up, right? That got me motivated. That got me like, wait a minute. No, why am I just sitting here waiting? What am I waiting on? I'm waiting for myself to get motivated. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I want to move into some of these, the leadership lessons. Cause you, you sprinkle them throughout the book. They've all oh. in, in pretty much all, I think all of them have personal anecdotes that have went with them, which again, the best way to learn something is to, you know, listen to another story about it. Um, so I just, I listed a couple of my favorites out here okay. that I thought we'd talk through. Um, so one of the first ones was, it was leadership lesson number six, unchecked and unresolved anger can ruin relationships and organizations. Yeah. And this one was a big one for me because um, I don't know why it seems like anger early on was often a first response for me. That's often mm-hmm. where I went was just anger yeah. slash annoyance. So I know you went through a lot, especially when you were growing up uh, with your parents, with uh, things that you experienced at school. What would you say anger has taught you? Anger has taught me. I need I understand what anger is now. Mm-hmm. Anger is a secondary emotion. Yeah. And it's not a primary, it's a secondary emotion. And it it is God's way of telling you that something is not right internally. Yeah. Not with anybody else. Yeah. Not with the circumstances. <laughs> it's like, what's going on with me and you? Yeah. And, and recognizing the fact that it was also in my existence for me to survive, it was a survival mechanism that I used to navigate and fight through not quitting. Yeah. So even though it was a negative emotion and it was, it has negative consequences. I used it to fuel me. Yeah. To keep moving. That rationale is not something that I want to take into the rest of my 60 years on the planet. Cause I'm just going to live till I'm 110 and we're going to call it that. So <laughs> but understanding what it is and how to use it was paramount. And it, I would say anger now, the recognition of what anger is, is the most important. Yeah. Everyone gets angry. Everyone is gets happy. Everyone gets sad. Everyone gets melancholy. But it's understanding what the emotion is and how best to use it for the good as opposed to sitting in it and simply just being angry. Yeah. There's, there is a difference between I could be I was a very angry kid. I was angry that my parent mom died. I was angry that my parents didn't do what they were supposed to do. And I was angry that I was at my grandma. I was just angry. Yeah. As a kid, you don't know how to express that. Right. Well, I found outlets to express that, not realizing that I was using them as outlets to express that anger. I was just trying to survive. Right. And so as you get older, sometimes I recognize, oh, I see what that is. That's anger. All right. I know what to do with that. Now we've become a little bit more uh, mature. And that's a yeah. level of growth and maturity that we all go through. Yeah. And that anger, as you talk about in your book, even with basketball, with um, <clears throat> as you were 
going through, and again, I don't know all the basketball terms. I know there are certain yeah. <laughs> ways of yeah. explaining these things, but I don't know them. But yeah, it's all right. As, as you were, you know, learn, you were in the, let's talk about when you were at um, JMU, when you were had decided that you were going to go there, right? And you were the walk-on and the, yeah. the, 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 tr- the drills that you had to go through, the repetition, the being the freshman, you know, all of these different things that you go through. And these, and I think you even mentioned in your book about how, those like the hazing or whatever you went through, you know, as in college that that was teaching you how to manage your anger. It was teaching you how to, to deal with that. And I I just think that at least for myself, like just as I was reading that, I was really um, looking back at my own life about what does anger mean to me? And what have I learned from it? Because I think mm-hmm. that's something I'm still, <laughs> I'm still learning to be honest. <laughs> yeah. We, we all are. I still, I am too. I am too. It's, it is, it is. Yeah. It is. You know, the, 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 the hazing that went, that took place at Benedictine where I went to high school, that prepared me for the onslaught of JMU mm-hmm. and what it took to push past that, because there is nothing like, not being wanted yeah. and not being a secret. Yeah. As opposed to, well, I think I got a shot. No, they made it very clear. We don't want you. What? Why are you here? You know, so there was no hidden agenda. And I like that because it's it's right in front of you. It's unambiguous. And you simply know what it is. Okay. I see what it is. It's your will and my will. And we're just going to go and I'm just going to keep going and I'm going to outwork you. I'm going to outwork these guys that have scholarships. I'm going to be the guy that gets on the floor. I'm going to be the guy that watches more film. I'm going to be the guy that runs faster in the drills. I'm going to be the guy that does the grunt work. I'm going to be the guy that never complains. I'm just going to be the guy that does things. And at the end of that, you when you're sitting over there trying to figure out, why is this guy? How is this guy still here? Well, let's see. He does this. He does this. He does this. They don't do that. They don't do that. They don't do that. He's always got a smile on his face. He's always got the right attitude. I can tell him something one time. I can't get rid. I really want to get rid of this guy, but I can't. (laughs) And I want to put him in that position, you know, that situation. So, yeah, I I do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in in that, so that straightforwardness, I mean, at least you know what to do with it, right? There's no, you know, okay, this is what I can do. And you even talk about in your book about that having that more straightforward personality. And yeah. I, I have the same. And I've been told mm-hmm. over the years in in my jobs that, you know, I'm too abrasive. I'm too straightforward. I'm too to the point. Right. Yeah. And um, but I didn't understand it any other way because I was like, well, but I, why wouldn't you want to know the facts of the situation? Why wouldn't you want to know, you know, whatever? So that's something I really had to work on myself, too, was um, managing my own straightforwardness slash abrasiveness to um to still be myself but soften to people i think yeah that was, that's been we a, share a that. We, we share that and we both own it yeah we yeah both own i it. mean i know yeah i do not waste time i get right to it and yeah. it's funny because i mentioned that in like page one it's like yeah. okay, I'm, page one sentence one i'm letting you know right now because for me it just doesn't make sense this passive aggressive being able to communicate passive aggressively is just a complete waste of time to me. If you don't like something, say it. If you have a feeling about something, speak it. And you can do it in such a way. My issue that I'm continually a work in progress on is my delivery. Yeah. Because I can be very, I won't call it, I can just be very direct. 
Yeah. And if my directness upsets your delicate sensibilities, you're going to have a problem with me. Yeah. But if you're confident in who you are, we're just going to be having a conversation. Yeah. And we're not going to take it personally. I know it's not meant to, it's just like, no, I think that's a dumb idea. Why would you want to do that? Let's talk about that. Yeah. And you're going to get offended. And it's not me trying to offend you. It's just that organizations lose so much what I call momentum. Yeah. When they're trying to move in a particular direction because of delicate sensibilities and their inability to communicate plainly, transparently, and directly. Yes. If the organization is in trouble, speak it. Let's go out and figure out a way to get out of it. Don't simply try to, well, we're not, you know, we haven't. No, the organization is in trouble. Here's what we need to do to rectify it. Let's go. You don't hide that from people. You share it with them because hiding it and not being transparent creates additional anxiety. And who right. Yeah. Well, and people okay. can read that. And, you know, I've been in, like I said, 12 years now, I think in IT and I, I did a lot of consulting, a lot of like short projects here and there and a lot of longer mm-hmm. ones too. And the thing is, is every company has that exact same problem. Everyone thinks they're different, but every single company has that exact same problem. And so then it just becomes, I, I you know, it used to bother me and it used to, oh my gosh, you know, and, but then I've got so where I'm like, I'm just used to it. And now I know... I know myself enough to know my responses because um, the, the problems are all the same. I've just learned how to respond better and to not, you know, take it, 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 use my directness in a positive way, I guess. That's something I've been really, you know, really working on. Yeah, that's good. Sometimes for me, it's the best thing to say is absolutely nothing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I agree. I've learned let that it, one too. Yep. Let it float on by and just leave it where it is. And, yep. and if you have to, you know, just give it pause. But yeah, it's that is a constant learning process for me. It absolutely is. <laughs> well, what other well, quotes, what, what other nuggets you have that you like? Okay, so another one is number 11. Don't let the root of bitterness to enter your heart as a person or as a servant leader of others. Oh, yeah, yeah. That that has that's a sneaky one. Yeah, because bitterness has a way. And I'm not immune. You know, I've had these issues. That's where I write about them. And I and right. I. And like being vulnerable about that. And, you know, a lot of folks have talked about, you know, I really enjoyed how vulnerable yeah. you were in the book. And for me, I appreciate that, but it's, it, it is what it is. Yeah. And it is such a sneaky, sneaky trait because it will infiltrate, infiltrate you and you don't even realize it. Right. And the next thing you know, it's just your outlook on how you see things, how you see people, how you see circumstances can take you down a path. That is an absolute untruth. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I I feel like bitterness shows up. It can feel like it's different things. Mm -hmm. It it can feel like sometimes it's exhaustion. It can feel like sometimes it's um, uh, victim. Poor me. Why is it always happening to me? Or why don't I ever get this good thing or whatever? And that, that bitterness in personal and in business it's like it puts up a, a block, right? It's like you're you're walking around with like a, a block in front of you or something that's, um, or the maybe blinders is a better way to describe it. Like you can't see anything other than what that bitterness has taken yeah. hold of. Yeah. And um, I know it can be tough on depending on your work environment or what's going on in your life. But I, I really loved this one, the reminder of um, watching out for that and, and not letting it enter your heart as a person yeah. or a leader. Yeah, yeah, it, it does because- 
it has the ability to to destroy the very thing that you were trying to create because you yeah. can't see, you can't see what it's doing. It's almost uh, like someone that's a very close friend and you've known them all your life and you're watching them go through something and you can see it just as yeah. plain day. It's yeah. like, wow, they're really, when you know, I'm not, no, I'm not. Yes. I yeah. can see it. I can, mm-hmm. I can see how you're behaving. I can see how you're rationalizing. I can see the lack of reasoning because you can't see what the truth is. Yeah. And that's what bitterness does. It blinds you from the truth because you, we may, we may be having people and situations that are trying to help us. Right. But because of the bitterness, we think, why is she trying to sabotage me? Why did she say that in the meeting? Or why did they do this? Right. Or why did they do right. this? No, she was really trying to help you, but because you're right. so angry and bitter, you think that she's trying to sabotage you. Right. Whatever it is. You know, yeah. So. Yeah. And well, and that leads to the the next one. Number eight, sometimes your leadership path will unfold organically before your eyes. And you talk about not dismissing the unfamiliar. And I think yeah. that ties into what you were just saying too, because we we often think we're on this path, whether it be in our career, our life in general, whatever. It's going to unfold this way. It's going to be this neatly laid out, you know, map, like a, a game board where you just move to the next. And that's not it at all, right? And so we can miss these things. We can miss these, these as, as I mentioned earlier about being fired. And, and I know you yeah. went through it as well. And we can we can take that firing as, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get a job again and it's the end of the world. Or we can take that firing as, wait a minute, okay, this is an opportunity for me to redirect. redirect. Maybe that was saving me from something further down the line, right? And yeah. so that that reminder that your path can your path doesn't have to be laid out each step at a time. It can um, it can be different and it can be unfamiliar and that's okay. It is absolutely okay. And you know, for for me, that has actually been a struggle because I am so task or I'm so task oriented yeah. and I am a driver and I simply I'm also uh, I compartmentalize things very well and I can get so myopic in my view because I'm yeah. fixated on a direction. I can miss out on some of the things that would actually help that progression and the next level of where it is that I'm ultimately t- trying to go. I, sometimes I drive right past yeah. because I'm so focused. And yeah. so it, it's it's being able to tie those things in and learning from them. But as I watch people sometimes navigate their careers and, you know, the political white collar survivor that I call it in the book, that's yeah. just flat out exhausting. And I have no desire to do that. <laughs> I don't recommend it. You know, folks, folks still are going to play the game because they think it's the way to get ahead. At the end of the day, for me, it's not. Uh, and and so for me, I'm not chasing position. I'm not chasing title. I'm not chasing money. I'm not chasing Instagram followers. I'm not chasing likes on Facebook. Don't have a Facebook account. So if you see Harold Harris, it's not me. I don't have a Facebook. <laughs> I have to put that out there, right? Yeah. I am chasing purpose. Yeah. And to me, purpose far exceeds long anything else. The other stuff will come. That's right. The other stuff will come. That's and right. If I keep serving others and giving and trying to help other people, the universe will open and do exactly what it's supposed to do when it's supposed to do it. And I have to trust that, which is sometimes going to struggle for me. I must confess, trusting and just I totally agree. It, it, yeah. it does. It, it it's, does. It's I mean, and it takes practice. I mean, even if you've done it before, sometimes you know, the next day you may not be able to do it again, right? It takes constant practice and that, that willingness to do that. Um, I want to move into that about service and your kidney donation. 
Yeah. And that moment for you, when you found out you were a match and that whole, whole experience for you, what was yeah. that like? And, and I guess maybe before that, what does servant leadership mean to you? And why, do you, why is that so important? It is simply, Sloan, how I was raised. Yeah. As, as a, and I'm talking about in my professional space as well. Mostly in my professional space. Uh, my first managers and leaders and directors, and they were people that genuinely cared about others. Mm-hmm. They weren't just a boss. I don't particularly like the term boss. And I let my team know. I have 23 highly skilled folks who really don't need me. They don't need me because they know what they're doing and six Mm -hmm. different teams. And I made it very clear in the people that I've always led or been asked to lead, I take that very seriously. So I don't aspire to the parent-child relationship style of management. And this whole, I don't like the word boss because I don't like what it denotes. I know that we all have one. We We have someone that we are accountable to. I get that and I am good with that. And at the end of the day, when my leader says, I need you to go right, don't ask me any questions, I'm going to go right and not ask any questions. I get that. But when you talk about servant leadership, you have to understand as a servant leader, you are placing yourself in a position whereby to extract every single fiber of the brilliance of the people that you are responsible for. That has nothing to do with you and everything to do with them. Yeah. And when you put that hat on, you can lead in such a way where they organically and enthusiastically will follow you because you have given them something that is a bedrock foundation. And that is the level of trust. Yeah. If you trust, they trust you, you can move mountains. I don't, whatever the team, whatever the industry, whatever the the, the organization If you have been placed in a position of leadership and the folks that are in your care don't trust you, it doesn't matter that you're the messenger. It doesn't matter that you're brilliant. It doesn't matter that you got the greatest idea since sliced bread. They will not commit to you. Right. And what you will see is a spiky issue of their performance because you are not getting the extraction of what I call positive discretionary effort. Mm-hmm. And we talk about that in the book. So yes, that's yes. what servant leadership means to me. Well, and that servant leadership, what you're talking about, as you're talking it to me, it's pulling out of somebody rather than pushing down on somebody. And there's a big difference there from both ends of the spectrum. But I think we've all, everyone listening, I'm sure has had that, that, that leader, that mentor, that person in their life that has pulled something out of them. As you yeah. talk about, help them see their own greatness, see see themselves, and that those kind of moments. And even as you recapped in your book, those are life changing moments. They're memorable moments. They're mm-hmm. those those experiential moments when we're it's things things aren't a concept. We've done them. We've lived them. We've experienced them. And that's how I think behavior changes all changes also in confidence because you're more confident in yourself because mm-hmm. you've had that experience. Yeah. It, it is it is remarkable. Even when I think about it, Sloan, now when I think back on it 33 years later, how instrumental my first two leaders were. Yeah. Um, you know, they taught me how to manage time. They taught me how to write. And some people would argue that I'm still learning how to write and I would not disagree. You know, <laughs> uh, they taught me the value of, of how to use an analogy to tell a story. They yeah. taught me the value of storytelling. 
you might not remember all the facts, but I guarantee if I tell you a story, you're going to remember the story. Yes. So being able to take a story or a situation, use it anecdotally to create something where folks go, oh, yeah, yeah I remember that. And yeah. years later, they still remember it. Yeah. That's been invaluable to me. But the greatest thing that I really admire from the leaders that I had, the, the, the Chesters and the Tommies and the folks that helped me, is they were compassionate leaders. They, yeah. they, they cared. You saw it. They they displayed it. It wasn't this, okay, I got to do this job, check in the box. It was none of that. It's yeah. like, hey, you may want to consider, let's let's talk about that. Let's let's talk about what we're doing here. Let's figure out how to they genuinely care. And I and I am so grateful for them because yeah. I try to pass that on to the folks that I am now responsible for. So it's just been a natural progression in those fundamental, those formative years of yeah. my working adult life. You know, those first three to five years were huge for me because I had people that genuinely cared because I was so young, because I didn't know, you know, anything about telecommunications or 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 how to do certain things and having to learn them you need that and i think it's important. Yeah. it's been critical it's been critical yeah well we're coming up on the end of our time and i don't want to miss this point about as i asked earlier about the kidney donation because that's such a big yeah. thing so tell us about that so the kidney donation thing it it was how it started was you know ruben the recipient he came to me um and he said, you know, I'm not sharing this story with with a few people, with a lot of people. I just want you to know because we've you know worked together for a lot of years, and uh, I value your I value you, and I just want you to pray for me. I need I need my kidneys are failing, and I need a kidney transplant, and so just pray for me. And that's what I did. I said I was devastated when he told me. I was like, wow. And so that's what I agreed to do. And we all thought that that was going to be the end of it. Yeah. And. Um, a heaviness and not a detrimental heaviness, but a, I think, I think it was the Holy spirit. And he sat on me and just said, you know what? I'm going to keep, I'm going to stay here for a couple of days, a couple, three, four days, because it just stayed with me. Yeah. And um, I put my wife in a very difficult position. I want to be very candid. My wife, Cynthia has been great. She's been a rock. Uh, but when you go, when I went to her, I said, you know what? I think I'm supposed to donate a kidney. And I think God is telling me to do it. That makes it very hard for her to say no. Right. You know? right. So, it, yeah. you know, from that, I want to make sure that I'm transparent about that because that's a very selfish thing to put your spouse in a position. But that's how I felt. It wasn't because yeah. I was trying to leverage an answer out of her. It's like, I really believe, you know, we're both Christian and, and we're both Christians and we are, you know, we know we are led by a higher power. And so we talked through it and she said, you know, well, Okay, why don't you just, you know, let's go get tested. And so that's what we did. And we started down that road. Now, I can tell you, and for the, the, the listeners, if you ever want to get a physical exam that is going to be the best physical exam you can ever get, <laughs> just sign up. Sign up. I didn't say donate. Sign up to become a living donor. Mm-hmm. Every exam, they measure your heart. They measure your lungs. You have a psychological exam. They measure every every blood work and they find things that you would have never found in a routine exam. I mean, just wow. blood work, every, every possible test that you can imagine you are going through over the course of that 45 to 60 days. Mm-hmm. It is extensive. It is thorough. It's not like just take blood work and we'll get out. We'll get back to you. No, yeah. it's extensive and it was exhausting. Um, and so we did that. 
And then we were in a waiting phase and I was in my office. I never forget it. I never forget it. As long as I was in my office and my phone rang on my mobile phone and it was our uh, Maureen, our clinical coordinator for transplant. And at this time, going through the process for 60 to almost 90 days, going through all the testing and going back and visits and taking samples and doing all this stuff, I found out that Ruben had hundreds of people that tried to be a donor, you know, his wife, his children, his church, other people. And we had an internal um, colleague uh, who was a match. And what happened was she got right down to, she was almost done. She was 99% about to cross the finish line. And they found a cyst on her kidney in her final visit before prepping. Oh my gosh. It, it ruled her out. So if you can imagine going through the process, you go through all the testing, all the blood work, all the stuff, and you are ready and your, your tissue typing is a match. You are a physical and anatomical match. And then it's like, Sloan, you can't do it. We found something on your kidney and it rules you out. And so that happened. And so when she called me, she said, you're a match. That's all she said. She didn't say, I got great news. She said, you're a match. Sloan, when she said that, I dropped my phone. I physically dropped my phone. I ran to my door and I slammed it. I didn't close it gently because I was all composed. I was not composed. Yeah. I slammed the door and I just started crying and bawling because I was so excited for Ruben because I knew all of the people who were not a match. Yeah. And I think the emotions of the moment of being able and the excitement and the joy to, to know that, okay, you might be able to save a life. No, you can save his life. You yeah. can help him. You can serve. You can be a solution. That was overwhelming for me. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't even the most overwhelming part. Here is what the most overwhelming part was. The years previous to that moment, I was a heavy smoker. I loved cigars. Mm -hmm. I was a more than casual drinker. And he was cleaning me up in preparation for that. I that was reading I, in your book when you described that, yes. that part of that in that, yes. yeah. again, yeah. that realization of that, right? Yeah. That realization yeah. in that, that to me, that was a big part of the story too. Yeah. Um, and I wanted yeah. to hear more about that. Actually, that's why I wanted to talk to you about it today because yeah. that, that was, that was a big deal. And yeah. so, and how did Ruben react? Did you get to tell him or did they tell him? You know, they, they told him because what we, we agreed that we were not going to say anything until we knew for sure. Okay. So yeah. while I was going through the process, he didn't know I was going through the process. Um, and I wanted to say, you know what, if I'm not a match, then no harm, no foul. Right. He doesn't get but his hopes up. Yeah. We, when we know, then they told him. And um, what he shared with me was because I'm such a fitness enthusiast, I, I love, you know, working out, staying fit. I do that all year round. It's just part of my DNA. They were, you know, he shared with me that the doctor said, dude, you're getting an Olympic kidney. So it wasn't, you know, there, so it's just been the, my body was in such tremendous shape and preparation for that, that it, the kidney started working immediately during surgery. And they wow. said that really doesn't happen. You know, they could see it working immediately when they connected everything they need it just started working for him 
And so I was just thrilled. It's just, it's just a tremendous watching him now bounce around like a 12 year old kid. is <laughs> awesome. I'm sure. And and that, that, that's also an amazing testament to the body and the healing that, you know, we put our bodies through various things and it it can change. And, oh boy, Harold, this has been such an amazing conversation. Uh, Unfortunately, we're at the end of our time. I I wanted to ask you about the bow ties, but I think the listeners are going to have to read about that in your book because I I really loved your, your story about that. Yeah, they got to read that one. Yeah, that's really good. So, my guest today has been Harold Harris Jr., author of the book, From Basketball to Bow Ties: A Journey in Leadership, Self-Discovery, and Success Through Service. So, Harold, before we close out, what do you hope people learn or take away after reading your book? I would like for them to, to share it with others. And again, not because of anything other than letting people know that they have power to make a difference. Yeah. You know, everyone wants their books to do well. Every, this for me is more it's more than that. I want people to know that they have a place here in this world if they serve others through their gifts and talents that have already been bestowed upon them, mm-hmm. they can do exactly what they want to do and be awesome in what they do. Uh I would love for folks to just take away the message about the book and sharing it with someone else, you know, our social media. Uh I could I love sharing Sloan the fact that I would love for folks to go to from basketball to bowties.com. The reason I try to connect people to the site is because anyone, I can tell you Sloan buy my book. It's out there on Amazon. It's out there on Barnes and Noble. I I do a disservice when I tell you that because you don't understand the why. I want people to understand the why and the why gets them to understand the context. So when they read it, it solidifies what they are going to do even more. If they just read it and don't understand where it came from, how it came into existence and what we're doing, it doesn't connect all the dots. So that's why it's important. We also, we have, you know, our email uh, service at source1.com as well as our Instagram is source1llc and our Twitter handle is at source1rva, at rva. Got it. Okay. You know, we really do a lot on LinkedIn as well. With, with with posting and hopefully you know your your uh, media outlets can help us get the message out and the spirit and even if one of the last messages Sloan even if someone chooses not to be a living donor I understand that but how about checking the box on your driver's license to say if something happens to me use my organs to save someone else's life that's that's just as valuable yeah. Yeah. You know, you're serving in a different capacity. So if we can get folks to think about that, the power of organ donation, the power of serving others and the power of their own innate abilities that are already inside of them. I think we've done exactly what we set out to do. I love it, Harold. I love the message. I love your book. Thank you for your vulnerability and in telling your story. And uh, thank you for coming on for us with us today. I'm going to put all the links in the show notes that you mentioned so the listeners can find that. And again, Harold, I want to thank you. It's been such an amazing conversation. Sloan, thank you so much. I I appreciate you. I appreciate Lynn getting all the stuff squared away and what you're doing. And I think this is awesome. I really feel the the, the connection. And thank you so much because there are a lot of other folks you could have had on this show. And so I thank you. And to the folks that are listening, you are here. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Don't let anyone else tell you differently and go and be the best that you can be. I love it. Thank you, Harold. You've been listening to the Create What You Speak podcast brought to you by webtalkradio.net. You can also hear the podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, 
Apple Podcasts, and your favorite podcasting platform. I'm Sloan Fremont, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode of the Create What You Speak podcast, where we will continue to free our minds, expand our consciousness, and untangle those thoughts and patterns that keep us from living the life we desire. Check out my website, sloanfremont.com, to learn more. Oh,